Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. Did you notice the priest is carrying a gun? Priests don't carry guns. Not in America, not in France, not anywhere. One last thing, Mr. Hogg, uh, Monty. He comes very late at night when he does his work. Very late at night. Should, should we try to, to go in? I don't know what apartment he'd be in. Well, we can see if there's any black stars on white skies on any of the doors, I guess. Perhaps any mass dances in the hallways. The floors and walls of the apartment are completely covered in papers, almost as if they've been blanketed with them. I lack the constitution for this portion of the investigation. I'll see you in the morning. And he just walks out. There's a faint smell of rotting meat. Something rotten, uh, though not in the state of Denmark, I suppose. With all due respect, Father, I don't give a damn about the plan. Sometimes, my son, we must accept that we don't know. One of the children has come over. Are you looking for something, sir? Angie, you look frightened. You can talk, you can tell me what it is, if something is, something is worrying you. Can you help me? And you both look over and you see Calvin Leith rising up out of the papers as, he, as if he was just lying underneath them waiting. Paris, 1895. Laurent Metch ducked down a darkening alleyway and put his back up against one of the adjacent buildings, carefully peering around the corner. He felt confident that, since dusk was falling on Les Marais, if he just waited here a few more moments, he could make it home without catching the notice of the grocer whose shop stood just around the corner from his apartment at 4 Rue Caron. He owed the man just a little bit of money, and he couldn't bear the thought of receiving another one of the grocer's knowing, disappointed glances. He decided to play it safe and continued down the alleyway, taking a few back streets on his way home. It only extended the trip by a few minutes, and he avoided the grocer altogether. He wasn't being cowardly. No, he liked this way better. The scenic route, to be sure. Mr. Metch made his way into his apartment building and up the stairs, barely acknowledging the neighbors he passed along the way to his fourth-floor apartment. His was the only apartment on the floor, and he liked it that way. No prying, judging eyes. His mind was so consumed with how to avoid the grocer the next day that he almost didn't notice his door stood ajar, just a crack. He paused for a moment, thinking back to when he had left earlier, and all but convinced himself that he had probably forgotten to make sure it was closed. Even so, he cautiously opened the door and peered inside before entering. The apartment was dark except for the light from the setting sun that came in through his only window, and a single candle that had been lit and placed on a desk just across the room. If it hadn't been for the candle, he wouldn't have been able to see the young man standing next to the desk, staring out the window. You have quite a view of her from here, the young man said, never breaking focus on whatever he was looking at out the window. Quite a view of who, Mr. Metch responded, without thinking, before adding, Wait. Who are you, and what do you think you're doing in my apartment? The young man, ignoring the second question, beckoned with his hand and motioned for Mr. Metch to come join him. Come here. You can see her from here. But you probably knew that already, didn't you? You must have been inspired by her power, too. He wasn't sure why, but Mr. Metch was more intrigued than frightened, and wanted to know who the young man was talking about. 
Could he see a woman in one of the nearby apartments? He took a cautious step toward the young man, and then another, and then another, until he was standing right next to him. He followed the young man's gaze through the open window, but he couldn't see anything he hadn't seen many times before. Who are you looking at? My muse, right there. You have a wonderful view of her from this apartment. Mr. Metch looked out again, but all he could see was other nearby buildings, and beyond, a sliver of Notre Dame Cathedral was visible. Before he could ask again, though, the young man spoke up. I met a man recently. He was a most amazing man, and he told me just how I could channel her power through my work. And what better way to channel that power than to be able to gaze upon her whenever I wish? The dream was right. This place has everything I need. Mr. Metch looked up at the young man as he finished, and for the first time, the young man met his gaze. As Mr. Metch looked into his eyes, he knew he had been wrong not to be afraid. Very wrong. you consider yourself fans of the horror genre in general i i'm not i'm a baby like i, I don't i've only recently started like see, watching horror movies in theaters only like very recently and it was i saw halloween the uh the, the new one <laughs> i saw us the jordan peele movie and i like those uh, but what I find a lot of times is if I'm watching horror, if I'm listening to it or even reading it, like when something, when it gets to like the part, like something's going to jump out, I get so not even like afraid, just so worried and anxious that like the, <laughs> there's going to be a loud noise and I'm not going to prepare for it. If you ever watch a scary movie with me, I look at my phone a lot and for extended periods of time. But I don't ever, I'm like, I'm, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that, oh, oh, yeah, 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 that's, uh. and then if, like, the thing happens, I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, ooh, sad I missed it. I'm not sad I missed it. I'm very <laughs> happy I missed it. So, no, no, I'm not really. I've developed a very similar technique because I am also a Freddy cat. I've, I've watched a fair amount of horror, I guess I'd say, over the years, because every now and then I get that tickle, right? Like, it's not my favorite genre, but like definitely during October, um, and then like sometimes you're just like, oh, it's a yeah, it's a very specific feeling. Yeah, and so my thing um, is I'm just very good at keeping my face angled at the screen, so just like looking down, just looking straight down, and so like nobody realizes that you're not looking at the screen, and like when it seems like the music has become less tense and like the gore has splattered, then you know you just look back up and uh, everything's cool here. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, like, that, that doesn't work so well, trying to read, like, trying to read horror, so I don't do it very often. <laughs> this group would be very interesting to watch a horror movie together, as we're all, like, looking <laughs> away. So, I, my answer is, like, is sort of a yes and no, because, like, 
as per both Mike and M's answers, like <laughs> I don't like watching horror. I I never have. I never I've never cared for it. I don't like jump scares. I'm not big on like gore and that sort of thing. I don't like body horror. Like it's just it has never really been a genre for me, which is particularly odd considering I have a podcast where you know I talk about like old schlocky movies, like a good half of which are horror films. Um, but like modern horror stuff, anything like 70s and 80s and beyond, like the the stuff that most people consider the classics of horror, I don't care for. Um, but that said, reading horror, fine. R R RPG horror like this, love it. It's great. Like running horror RPGs, I've I've loved. I've had a great time doing that. So visual, like horror as a visual medium, no. Vor horror as like a as sort of a um, an atmosphere, 100%. I would agree. Yeah, I think that playing it is definitely, like you're in it and you're active and feel a little more in control. And, mm -hmm. and to 100%. me, I have, the one thing I want to relate to whether or not I'm a fan of horror is uh, it was a tradition for a while uh, within my couple of my friends where we would go to one of those like, and it started like in our 30s, like in late 20s. It was a weird time to start like a tradition, but we started like, Going to one of those Halloween things every year where they come, they're walking on, they jump out, and ah, that whole, Terrifying. like the haunted experience. And they, I swear, only go because it's, I, I act so, and it's not like a put on, I'm not like doing a bit, like I get so mad and frustrated <laughs> and I start like lecturing the people who jump out at me about how they approach <laughs> me. And how I it's like they very similar. This is my personal <laughs> space. You're in my personal space. I don't care if it's a thing. And like I keep walking. And my brother, I'll never do it again because my brother came with us one year, and he was he was walking behind us, and I lost track of him, and I was very worried. It's my youngest brother. I thought that he was going to be killed, so I was like, Tyler, Tyler, where are you? Where are you? And he was like, I'm walking right next to you, and I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> So I turned to say something to him, and it wasn't him. It was a, like a hillbilly man with a chainsaw, <laughs> and he revved it. And I, I've never run like that in my life. I went, ooh, and I said a bad word to my brother, and I took off like a shot. And I could hear him laughing like through the trees as I ran. It was, his laughter haunts me to this day. He got me so good. And I will never go again. You still can't be in the same room as him after no, that moment. No, <laughs> no. I'm afraid every time he's going to turn into that man. Haunts your dreams. It's so interesting, I think, how people experience different forms of horror. I'm So I, I know this won't come as a shock to anyone, but I'm a really big fan of the horror genre. <laughs> Full stop. Um, I love horror movies. I love books that are horror based or thriller based or you know psychological thrillers like it's just all my favorite um and obviously i like horror rpgs the three of us or the four of us are playing one right now um my wife hates horror hates it so much but she can do it with books um she's much better with books than she is with um with movies my mom is the exact opposite. She can watch horror movies, but she still has nightmares about Pet Cemetery that she read when she was like 18. Um, so 
It's a different experience. Definitely a different somehow. experience. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I guess it depends on what kind, what part of horror kind of affects you and gets into your head. Like, I can read stuff, and it just, it just like, the description just kind of washes over me, and I don't have to, like, absorb it and register it as being horrifying in the way that, like, a visual experience with, you know, the music and the sound and then the actual visuals and everything, like just get to me and I'm like, nope, can't, can't do that. The only one I genuinely cannot, cannot do. Uh, like I'll watch a movie. I'll just look around. I cannot play a horror video game. Like a genuine. Oh God, no, <laughs> I can't either. I have to like not walk forward. I have yeah. to put down the controller type. Of yeah, thing. no, like, I, I, when resident <laughs> evil seven hit and it was a VR thing, it was, the, I had a VR thing and I, I, Everyone kept telling me to get it. And my brother, again, was like, come on, you're an adult man. Just get it. It's a video game. It's not real. <laughs> and I never got it. And then very recently, I downloaded it, like, non-VR. Just, like, hold the controller. I played four minutes. Nothing scary happened. But I was like, I can't live this way. You're so amped up because you know what it is. You know it's a horror video game, and you know that it could happen at any time. I can't exist. Hmm. So even the calm scenes yeah. at the beginning, where it's like, nope. literally nothing will happen here. Nope. This is just the setup. You're like, mm, no, but what? something will happen at some point, eventually here. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't deal with that. I don't want it. I, I still remember all too clearly at some point in high school, my friends and I were going to watch The Exorcist. And I, I didn't make it until, like, I couldn't even make it to the movie beginning. There were all these, like, behind-the-scenes featurettes that they were watching first. And I started sobbing because oh, no. I was just like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this one, guys. Can't do this one. And I've, I've still never seen it. Although I did used to work in Georgetown and have been up and down the steps. Don't recommend too many steps. I saw The Exorcist my sophomore year of high school because my religion teacher showed it to us and she oh kept boy. the door open and she turned the volume all the way up and she said, what are they going to do? Fire me again. <laughs> and we watched the exorcist over the course oh, of amazing. two periods. Mary McDevitt, if you're not, you know, off this mortal coil, thanks for that. Please subscribe and review to our podcast. The nature Please. of my game podcast. Mrs. McDevitt. <laughs> that is a real name. I shouldn't have said that. The last story that I'll tell is I have a couple of friends in, in the city who um, we used to go to horror movies together when, you know, going to a movie theater was a thing you could do. And we had gone to dinner one night um, and decided to go back to my apartment and watch a couple of horror movies. We watched The Babadook. Um, and the three of us were watching the movie. All the lights were off. It was dark, you know, pretty small apartment. We had just finished and we were discussing whether we wanted to watch another movie and it was like you know 11 p.m at this point and somebody said something that turned on the alexa in our apartment and it the alexa started talking back to us and i have never seen three people more physically scared than that moment we all you know one of us leapt off the couch the other one like turned and ducked but honestly, I remember that I remember that moment so fondly now that I think that's like that's a good sign that I really love horror because I have nothing but fond memories of that absolutely terrifying moment in my life. All of that is to say, I wonder whether uh, Monty and Francis were more are more or less scared than I was in that moment when Calvin Leaf <laughs> pops up from underneath a pile of papers in what seems like maybe his apartment. 
and lunges out at you after you had kicked open one of the sculptures of a church in this room and found a bloody human organ inside. And so we are going to get to try out combat in this system for the first time. And so I'm going to pull up my trusty uh, combat summary here. And so the first part of combat in the Yellow King RPG is you have to choose a goal. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list off the goals, and then um, Francis and Monty will decide amongst themselves what their joint goal in this combat is. So the objectives that you can choose from are um, to kill, to render helpless, to gain surrender, to beat up, uh, to block, so to block someone from getting by you, to drive away, um, to escape, to escape with a captive, to gain an item, to overrun, or to topple. And topple, it says, is only really relevant when toppling would have some sort of effect, like if you're next to a cliff or on the shore of a river or something like that. So talk a little bit about what do you think, like when you see Calvin pop out from underneath all these papers, he lunges towards you, he's got a crazed look in his eye. What do you think the two of you are in the moment in this kind of very, you know, you kind of have to, you, you kind of have to decide and, and use your instincts. What do you think you're trying to accomplish with Calvin in this moment? I mean, it's, I don't want to kill him because it's someone that we know that, I mean, that's, but like, that is absolutely a terrifying thing to have happen. So I, I don't know. I'm sure like my instinct would definitely to be to lash out in some way, but like, I don't know. My inclination is more towards like, fighting towards some sort of surrender on the off chance there's any way we might be able to get more information because I don't know. We don't have a lot. Is there an option that's like subdue? Render render helpless, I would say, is is that, yeah. I So, um, I actually think that Monty... Monty has a fairly high composure score rating. Um, so he has been very scared, but I think he's able to keep himself together for all of this. Um, the thing is that he does not like being taken advantage, like, he doesn't like being sort of, not just being frightened, but sort of like being exposed as having been frightened. So, like, Monty's first instinct, I think, is kill this guy <laughs> um, for this. For, like, what for what is happening. Like, he is dangerous, he has, like, it, this This is all insane, and maybe we just need to put this guy down. It's true that there are body parts in his apartment. <laughs> Even though, from a more rational perspective, it actually might make more sense to try to render him helpless if, you know, if that assists in our goals. But um, my, my first, first reaction is actually that Monty would just go for kill. Hmm. I mean, I feel like for most of these options, first reaction violence absolutely is included. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's it's about once the violence has, has come into play, mm -hmm. how far we take it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, do you think there's any chance of getting more, more information? information from him? I mean, I think he's mad. I think he 
may end up repeating the same things that he repeated before. Right. That's I don't risk. know if he would actually provide anything else. The only, My actual consideration isn't about information at this point. It's about whether or not killing him is going to mean that we are... Um, kind of in in enough legal jeopardy or like basically if consequences come down on us because we kill him versus right. knocking him out and, and leaving him unconscious, which I think would be significantly less if there's an investigation of some kind, something like that. I mean, I, I feel like it would go better for us if he was there and kicking, not kicking us, but like this is his apartment with creepy body part paper mache castles like, I definitely want him to take the blame for that. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, I mean, I know what my first action is going to be here, and that may end up sort of determining, <laughs> like, how this goes, so. And so that's the other thing with this system is that you really only get one action, right? And so this conversation about the goal, I think, is kind of a, it's a representation of what you two might be shouting at each other as you're doing it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if we... <laughs> what if we get in legal trouble? Ah! I'm trying to render him helpless. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. All right. So so you do have to come to some sort of conclusion here. Yep. So, okay. um, yep. I will, I'm I'm willing to go with render help, helpless if that's how we want to pr- proceed. I'm, I'm And I'm aiming for truly helpless. Like, I don't want this, sure, this sure, little sure. bastard to, to be, mm-hmm. have any sort of ability mm-hmm. to get up and do this to us again gold dirt it we left you at a doctor absolutely absolutely and so also um oh god is the doctor okay i'm glad i punched this guy <laughs> <laughs> um tom your mention of um your mention of composure reminded me even though i had thought about it right before we started recording um, that I both, before this starts, I need you both to actually make a composure test. Um, specifically mm-hmm. around the fact that um, you discovered a human organ inside this uh, paper mache sculpture. And in fact, it looks like the blood from the organ was the adhesive that was keeping the inside of the paper mache together. Was oh, it? nice. Did it That's need to be? Terrific. It did. It really did. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Is this so, a preparedness or a composure check? Composure, right? Yeah, so preparedness is like, do I have this item with me? Um, so so you can, you'll each roll composure and let me know uh, if you want to use a spend and how much. I'm going to go ahead and, and use one for sure. I have, a, I have a fair amount. I'm spending three. Okay. I'm going to spend two and i rolled a five so an eight extremely composed more composed than i've ever been Uh, i got a total of four you got a total of four okay so um monty you're able to keep things together Um, you know, maybe you're not taking in the full ramifications of everything you're seeing in this moment. Maybe you just have gone through a lot and you really are able to keep your head. Maybe it's your worldview. Um, you know, if nothing matters, then this doesn't matter either. Um, but you're able to keep your head. Francis, on the other hand, um, you're affected by this situation. This is unlike anything you've ever seen before. Fair. And so you're going to take a minor shock. Um, and it is called Witness to Carnage. Um, and so remember, this is your first of the, your first shock. If you acquire three of them, you will 
lose your mind and um, and basically be out of commission for the rest of your life. Um, but witness to carnage um, is a is a card that tells you that you get a minus one on all tests, and that you can discard it as a recipient of a push. Um, and, and remember that you all have two pushes, and so you can discard it as a recipient of a push. So if someone else uses some sort of ability and expends a push, they can help you get rid of this card. Um, and we'll talk about that when it comes up. Yeah. So just to, sorry, just to clarify you what you said. Um... I can't just get rid of it with my push. Someone else needs to help me with their own push. That's correct. Okay. Okay. So keep that in mind. All right. And so then the next step in this process is to have you each decide on your spend. And so you're the, the thing you're going to be rolling in combat is fighting. Um, and you're going to decide you're going to, you're going to do one roll. Um, and you need to decide what your spend is going to be on this fighting roll. I mean, I'm, I know I'm, I'm obviously quite rattled at this point. I feel like to have any sort of good outcome, I need to, to spend a little more than I might otherwise. Um, I'm going to go ahead and spend three since that's going to be two. Okay. I'm going to spend two. All right. Monty's going to spend two. Okay. So Calvin rises out from underneath these papers. He has a crazed look in his eye and he lunges toward Monty. But Francis, you have the higher spend. And so you actually get to uh, get to go first. And so describe to me what it is that you're attempting to do in this situation. I think because I have distance... I have a lot of stuff in my satchel. It is quite heavy. I am gonna swing it and try to hit him in the back of the knees and make him fall. Cool. Um, all right, so go ahead and roll. Go ahead and roll your fighting. You're gonna actually add two because it's the spend of three, but you have the uh, the shot card, and so you're gonna be down to two. Hey. Okay. So I got a six um, on the dice. So that is actually oh, wow. an eight. Eight. I've rolled a lot of ones. <laughs> All right. That is excellent. So you um, you react quickly, um, even though you're a bit afraid, and you swing your bag around, and you knock him down at the knees, and he falls forward. Um, Monty, describe what you would like to do as, as he starts to fall forward in like towards you, into you. Monty, I would like to take my burning... Uh, kind of torch of papers from the room, since he's still covered in papers himself, and I would like to shove it up into his stomach. Oh my heavens! Kind of just right in, just this burning thing of, this burning torch into all, into him and all of his paper. Alright, go ahead and give me a fighting test. Into all of his paper. All of the paper. <laughs> I also rolled a six. Wow. We are competent. Which is also going to be an eight with my two spend. All right. So that is a that is a uh, a final margin of plus six, which is plenty. And so, uh, Monty, go ahead and describe for us what happens. He's falling towards you and you stab you. You like thrust the burning paper toward him. What happens? I, I, I think that. I kind of, as I shove it up at him, I say, settle down, Calvin. And he, 
it the fire catches on all of the paper on on the front of him and just starts to burn all over him at which point um maybe with Francis's help we kind of just will mm. drop him down to the ground and immediately cover the fire just like I'm assuming the the flames between the flames and her hit to the back of his legs this is enough to kind of take him out of commission especially if we slam him on the ground and then we need to put the fire out so that the entire apartment doesn't catch. I will get the flames out by continuing to pummel him with the bag. Excellent. So you're able to subdue Calvin enough and you you get the fire out so that he doesn't burst into flames and that the rest of the apartment doesn't burst into flames. When I, w- I, when I wanted to do kill, this the entire, like, my <laughs> thought process was, I want him to catch on fire, I want the apartment to catch on fire, I want the whole thing to burn <gasps> down. But we, did, we went with subdue, so... <laughs> hey, you still have opportunities to do that if you want to. Um... Murder is always an option. So the last thing to say is is that part of this part of the fighting system is that if you if you ever um, get a higher margin versus the difficulty than three, um, it only counts as three toward the group's total. But you also get a special bonus. Um, and in this case, the difficulty was three, and so you both got an eight. Um, and so you you both get to choose either you can have a push, an extra push, so you'd have a third push, or you can um, refresh a general ability other than fighting. So you could add two points back to any of your pools um, other than fighting if you wanted to do that. For Is this um, for each of us, we each get one of these benefits? Or? That's correct. Yep, because you, okay. you, each, you each rolled higher than a margin of three. Emily, I am taking the third push. Thanks, for I was helping. <laughs> I didn't want to beg, but... Uh... <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that, gosh, knowing what I, I now know how some of these cards can function, that seems, that seems of benefit. So you're also going to take a push. I will also take a push. All right. So we're going to, we're going to pause at the apartment and shift back over to Notre Dame. And so you're having, uh, Donald, you're having this conversation with this little girl, Anja. Um, and she has ju- you've just asked her if you can if she can show you the apartment of this mysterious artist who's been replacing some of the ironwork and she's said yes and at that moment you hear a voice shout from the door of the cathedral Mr. Braith is that you? It, yes yes you look over and Father Alex Sicard is standing there, um, looking out at you. What are you, are you? What are you doing here? I came for confession, Father, at your suggestion. I, I was absolved of my sin, and now I am helping this poor beggar girl uh, follow the way of the Lord. And as you say that, you look down and the girl has taken off running out of the plaza. And I uh, just kind of, um, and I just run from the priest to her. Like I'm following the kid. Okay. Um, you try to chase after her, um, but she is a, she is a, a, a local who knows her way around. She knows the back alleys. She knows the the little sewer entrances that she can pop into and it's dark and it does not take her long to 
hide herself and disappear from your view. And I obviously this this makes me incredibly upset. I'm very frustrated. <laughs> uh, I would I would probably how far am I from Notre Dame? Oh, no more than I mean you, you could walk back in five minutes. She was okay. she was quick. She kinda darted like down an alley and then disappeared and you don't know where she went. So I turn around, I, I go back hoping to see if there's any more of those if there's any more of the kids there. That's who I'm not I, I the priest obviously there's something up, but I think I would get focused on seeing if I could find this kid. Okay. So I go back and are there any kids in the in the there are not. They seem to have dispersed, at least for the for the time being. Um, you think maybe now that you're thinking back on the moment, you know, she took off and ran when she saw the priest. Maybe maybe there was something yeah. about the priest yeah. that made her, you know, because it seemed like she wanted your help and was and wanted to share something with you, and she did. And then the priest arrived, and then she took so off. So now I'm I'm I don't see any kids, and I have that same. I definitely blame the priest. And not myself. So I, <laughs> I like then, in the absence of kids, start walking towards the the uh, church. And I think that I'm just saying, like, the priest's name at the appropriate volume. But I'm yelling for him. I'm yelling, Father Sicard. Okay. Yes, he is, um, he is no longer at the doorway. So I go in and I continue to call out to him, Father Sicard! Father Sicard, you spoke to me earlier. Where are you? And I'm like making making a real ruckus at this point. So you walk inside and, and you were in here obviously earlier in the day and you know, light was shining in through the stained glass windows and there were people all over and it was kind of bustling and you know, alive. Um, but now that you enter at night, um, it seems as if the distance between the door and the pulpit stretches on forever. Um, and the, that whole area is obviously covered in pews, but there's no one in any of those pews. On either side of the entrance are stairways leading up to the towers of the cathedral. Um, and you would know that the you know, you, you had kind of seen it before. The organ is up on a, a a gallery area up the stairs, not all the way up the towers, part way up, and then th there's another gallery up there somewhere, and that's where he had said for you to meet him later that night. Okay. Um. Yeah, I guess I'm just seeing if there's anything in my investigations that I would. No, I I will I I just I think I would start my way up towards the gallery. Actually, you know what? No, I would use my. Uh, Nah, I'll just go to the gallery. <laughs> I'm going up. All right, so you start heading up, um, and you there's a there's a door that you reach before you get to the gallery that seems to be the door to the organ room. Do you pass by? I would probably and... open it and, and call and see if he's in there. Okay, it's locked. Okay, so I kick it once angrily and I keep walking. So you make your way up to the gallery and you see Father Sicard sitting in the gallery and he's looking out and now now you can see that this this level and this this actually like makes sense to you. You you now that you're thinking about it, you know a little bit about the architecture of this particular church. 
and he's looking out at the gargoyles that are perched high atop the cathedral and the plaza beyond. And so this gallery is where guests can come and look at the gargoyles. Um, and you see Father, Father Sicard. He's sitting up there um, looking at you as you walk in. Um, he has his pistol sitting next to him, and he's got his hand on it. And he has his pant leg hiked up one of his one of his legs, the one that uh, Francis thought she had noticed that there was some sort of injury to. And his leg, you see, is entirely crystallized. Um, and we're gonna pause you there and move back over to the apartment. So you have just subdued Calvin Leith, and he is he he's like on his couch, just like. You know, maybe maybe you've like I don't know, use something that like bind his hands or something. But you 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 like he he's just kind of lying there, staring off into nothing. Huh. Well, I, Monty, I don't. Are you a, Are you all right, Monty? I should check in. Are you all right? I'm all right. Are you all right? You look like you had quite a fright from seeing that thing over in there and I gesture towards the, the organ in the church I mean that wasn't good um nor was any of the the actual writing in the in the church and I must admit Francis, uh-huh. let me just say based on what has occurred so far before mm-hmm. seeing that thing over in there and now what has just occurred with uh, Mr. Leith here I anticipate we may see a lot more horrible and unusual sights before all of this is done. This is something... It has piqued my interest, I admit, because it is so unusual and, frankly, very disturbing. And, Francis, I think we need to collect Dawn. I think the three of us need to figure out what's going on, and I need you to be at your best when we're doing this, so just... Keep yourself together, and let's let's try to figure out what's going on. I'd like to use a push to give to resolve the uh, the condition for her. I would guess based on your based on your uh, your investigative abilities, is that a would you say that's a reassurance push, a negotiation push? It's a it's going to be a reassurance push. It's going to be a reassurance push for sure. All right, so you are able to discard that card, Francis. I just it's different <laughs> you know i it's uh, i i've been i i um been reading about terrible things <laughs> since since forever and um it's it, it doesn't do it justice but but we we can do this this is this is fine <laughs> I quite agree. I quite agree. You're right. We sh- we should find Donald. Let's find let and let's take one second before we go and address Mister Leith here and see if there's anything else he can provide for us before we go and find our friend. Mister Leith, can you hear me? Can you understand me? Yes, uh, I can. Well, that's unexpected. <laughs> um. I I guess we apologize for entering your 
home unannounced. Um, why did you, <clears throat> why did you destroy my work? Mr. Leith, I want you to think very, very carefully. What is the last thing that you remember before we came into your abode and, uh, destroyed some of this, uh, interesting artwork you've been creating? Well, I, I was at the doctor. He stitched up my head. He examined me. He said I was suffering from exhaustion, and so I came back home to take a nap. Do you remember what happened before you went to the doctor? Do you remember how you got to the doctor? Yes, I believe you helped me. Thank you for that. Mm. Because to my recollection, you were ranting and raving something like a lunatic. <sighs> what are these? Gesture towards the churches, these paper mache sculptures. Well, they're images of my muse, the cathedral, Notre Dame. I was overwhelmed by her beauty, and she's been serving as my muse ever since. When I look at her, I see a world that it feels like only I can see. My art, it reflects that. I would like to... Since he is currently bound with some, some, you know, rope, something like that, I'd like to pick him up from where he is sitting, pull him over to the one that we kick the top off of, and I shove his head down into oh, the gap gracious. where the organ is, and I... Mr. Leith, what is this? Is this your work? Is this your inspiration? It feeds my power, my work, the rocket... It whispered to me about how to feed my power, and I listened. It provided me with the means to increase my power. Part, pardon me, what, what, what spoke to you about your power, Calvin? The rock, of course. The rock. Someone gave it to me. Someone who recognize someone else who recognizes the true power of Notre Dame. He gave it to me and he, he gave me the play and I, I read all of it and it, it revealed the truth to me. What play, Mr. Leith? The play, it, it's all around us here, but the truth of the play goes beyond words. Only those who read it can truly understand. Who gave you this? I don't know his name. He approached me while I was gazing on the beauty of Notre Dame, and he instructed me on how to channel the power of her beauty and greatness into my art. I only met him once, but it was a life-changing moment. Mr. Leith, and I pull out the bracelet again. Is this the rock, or is this made from the rock of which you speak? Yes. Who are these people? Who are the people on on this carving? What are they doing? Are they are they from the play? Yes. Can I point down to the organ that is this in the 
in the church. What exactly is that? And where, and listen to me carefully, Mr. Leith, where does that come from? What is it that you don't understand, Monty? I came to this place because I saw it in a dream, and it told me that it would give me access to the church that I love. When I arrived, everything was ready for me. Does everything include a man named Laurent Mitch? Oh, the, the man who used to live in this apartment. Mm-hmm. I don't know where he is now. You sure that's not... Mm? So, Francis, you you would have, you know, using your mm-hmm. intuition skill, would have a strong belief that the organs probably came mm-hmm. from Laurent Mensch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All ready and waiting to go for him. Uh, but he, yeah, he doesn't seem, he doesn't seem willing to... He doesn't seem, you know, he, it doesn't seem like that is in his head. He's not seeing it that way. Yeah. Talk it out a little bit. What's going through Francis and Monty's head right now? Um, so Monty, again, is taken by, in this case, no longer a desire to burn the whole place down, but he is sorely tempted to leave um, Calvin kind of half shoved into his own bloody church maybe even with the the top that I kicked <laughs> off put back over it um and to ask um to ask Francis to maybe grab one of the sheets off of the, whichever like the if there is um a piece of paper on the wall that has the title the king in yellow on it like the there's there there's a there's uh, that phrase is, is okay the papers. Yeah, like it, sure. just one one or two pieces of paper that seem to indicate okay there's a play that seems to be this that he's talking about just like one or two leaflets of that um I still I think we still take the bracelet with us I, I think that's still an important piece but just to leave otherwise leave him here. Um, amongst this because it seems to me that he has either he or someone who is he is associated with um, has probably killed the former resident or and maybe other people who knows Um, and so it's no longer worth trying to kind of revive him um, that he, he should just be left here and we can maybe alert the authorities about what's going on. But otherwise, I'm not interested in helping him out. Okay. And Francis, is there anything beyond that or any pushback you would have on that? Or does that sound about right? I mean, that sounds about right. Like, I think, yeah, the, um, I think she's absolutely terrified of that bracelet at this point. Like, I am very happy to let Monty hold on to it and I don't want to touch it. Monty's worried about the bracelet at this point too. There's a, <laughs> there's definitely a ring of Mordor sort of situation that I'm worried about here. But like, I'm definitely concerned about it. But I want to hang on to it because I feel he feels like it might be key to something in the future or figuring out what's going on. Um, all right. So let's let's pause there and head back to the cathedral. So Donald, you've arrived at the gallery. Um, Father Sicard is is sitting there with the gargoyles behind him and and his pistol 
um, kind of in his hand, sitting on the sitting next to him, and his his pant leg is rolled up, and his entire right leg is crystallized. And I I am the 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 girl running away and not being able to find her uh, when she had asked for my help has has gotten me to this point of like I'm I'm in a lather now with everything going on, and so like I'm I'm not. Not not affected by the fact that his leg is crystallized, but it's like okay, well, what else? Like there's there's been nothing but nonsense. So I'm not immediately like stunned. In fact, I kind of I like just kind of start talking to him. Like I don't, I don't even see it because maybe I don't. I'm just so tunneled. Father, why, why did that girl run from you, Father? Why did you call out to me? What we, we say is this, do you have your gun out to scare me, Father? What, What is happening to me? You are not the one that I am afraid of, my son. I, I apologize for scaring off the girl. They don't deal well with authority figures. I, I think that they prefer not to interact, though I, I don't know. I, I try to help them as I can. But yes, uh, th- this gun is not for you. Otherwise, it would be pointed at you. And then when he says uh, that he helps him when he can, I, I take a, a couple steps, like a, some purposeful steps closer. How do you help them, Father? Who are you helping, Father, with your gun in your waist and your crystallized leg and all of the, the degeneracy that all of you people hide behind your rituals, behind your robes, behind your traditions? It's all just decaying. And I don't understand, Father, why you continue to not give me any kind of answers. Don't tell me about the book of Job. I know what God said to Job, but you're not God and I'm not Job. And I want you to tell me, Father, what is happening here. Donald, I I think I will tell you because despite your anger and your frustration with me and your sacrilege, I... I do believe that you want to help. And the Lord knows that I need it right now. And I just kind of slump to the floor and listen. Have you ever met the organ player here at the church? No, Father, I have not. His name is Baptiste Cabot. He used to be a devout and dutiful man. A quiet man who was content to play his organ and go to confession regularly. But I believe that an evil spirit has taken possession of him. About a month ago, he stopped coming to confession, and when I approached him about it, he said he had discovered a more direct connection with the divine. He started talking about some gateway opening up between this world and Eden. But I don't think there is anything holy about whatever power he latched onto. Shortly after that, I noticed changes in the ironwork on the door. The same changes that you noticed. You are wise and very observant. Well done. I waited in the gallery, much like I'm doing right now, only to see Cabot coming in the middle of the night to replace the iron. Whatever stone it is that he's using has a far more sinister energy than the stone that was there before. 
and the atmosphere inside the church deteriorates the more work Caveau does. I asked him about it. In fact, I went to his home to ask him to cease his actions. He wouldn't even open the door. So I forced my way in, and what I, what I saw there rocked me to my core. He has a horrific monster inside. It attacked me. It did this to me, and he points down to his leg that has crystallized now. The wound from the monster began to crystallize, and Cabot gave me a, a salve to stop the process, but as you can see, my leg has completely changed. It's caused me to have visions. It's terrifying, and I, I don't know what to do. That was how I helped the children. Um, one of them, too, has been bitten by this creature. His whole body is starting to crystallize, much like my leg. I, I gave them some of the salve to help. Uh, I don't know if it will. But every night since then, I come up to this very spot with this, and he holds up his pistol. And I will myself to have the strength to stop Cabo, but I don't think that I can do it. And I'm still just kind of staring off into the distance. Well, Father, I believe that I can. So why don't, why don't you let me, let me help you? I too believe that you can. What is it that you plan to do? Father, what I plan to do, I plan to kill him, but not before I find out exactly how and why and where he channels this unnatural ability that you speak of, this, the, the properties of the stone. I will understand. And at the point at which I understand, I will handle your problem for you. My, con my confession door will always, always be open to you, my son. So what do you think is going on in Donald's head right now? What are all the thoughts that are running through his mind? I think he's, he's thinking about all of the things that he's seen over the past night, obviously, but also within his own life and like, how he's been on this like slow unraveling of his sanity since he went to school and he's in this moment he this is the first time he feels like fair or unfair this guy who's building this door has every answer that he needs everything's gonna make sense he he has the he just it's like it's rationale it's illogical rationality he's like no this of course this must be it because this is where all the weirdness is happening. There was weirdness in America, now there's weirdness here. It all makes sense that it would revolve around this guy. I'm gonna kill this guy. Like, it's a very kind of like, he's not thinking clearly, but he believes that he is. Right, it's the it's the like uber rationalism. Yes, right? like it's, yeah. it's, it's the rationalism gone awry um, that leads to irrationalism kind of grounded in rationalism. And I think that he would, so he, he he takes the pistol, I take the pistol from from the, the priest and I start to walk away. And I turn to the, the priest and I say, Father, uh, do you have uh, 
you have any academic understanding of occult rituals or, or, or any group worship? <sighs> Father, I, I, I think I have work to do, Father. And I just walk out. And he, he stops you. Um, as you're walking out, he says, Donald, please come back and speak with me sometime. I believe that as you have agreed to help me, I believe that I too may be able to help you. And Donald, before you go, there is more of the salve near the front of the church at the pulpit. It's in a secret compartment up there. I believe that you can find it. Take it with you, just just in case. And so we pause there, and we flash back over to the apartment. And so, um, you know, Monty and Francis, you've already told me mostly what you want to do, but how exactly do you want to handle Calvin before you take some of the pages of writing and leave? Francis, do you have any other questions for our friend here? I don't know. Um, he doesn't know. He doesn't know who the person is who gave him these things. He doesn't. Calvin, what what is your power? This thing feeds it. What does it do for you? You're looking at it all around you. This is my power. P paper on walls? Pa paper mache? Calvin, I can do that myself. I, I did it in school. Not like this. This shows me visions of something that only I can see, that only I can understand. Well. I don't, I, I don't know how much... Yeah, I think that may be all my questions, Monty. I, I don't know how much more our friend can can bring us. Well, then, I think that leaves us, uh, it leaves us where it leaves us. <laughs> uh, now, Calvin, life is largely meaningless. For the most part, it has no real point, no real end goal, but I do have some good news for you. It is no more pointless behind the walls of a jail cell than it is making whatever it is that you are making here. We're going to leave you here, and we're going to alert the authorities to what you have been doing. And I expect you will be hauled away. And that is just how things will have to be. Uh, but first, I have to make a little room here. My apologies. I'm going to step on the art organ that's in the oh. church. Just, like, try to crush it. Oh, squish. He, like, when you step on it, he, like, jerks at his binding. But then kind of goes back to a serene staring off into space. And the two of you leave the apartment and you're walking down the stairs and Monty, for the first time, you get a chance to really look at the 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 writing of the of the play on these pieces of paper. And as you reach the ground floor of the apartment, 
you come to a sudden realization that it's your handwriting. And we're going to end our story there tonight. But that, that's simply not possible. <laughs> hmm? well, what was that? That's simply not possible. <laughs> This podcast was created using the Yellow King RPG by Pelgrane Press and is based on an adventure written by Sarah Saltiel called The Doors to Heaven, both used under the Pelgrane Press Limited community use policy, along with music from the Yellow King Suite written by James Semple. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at nomgpodcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com.